0: This episode is brought to you by AlphaSense, the AI platform behind the world's biggest investment decisions. The right financial intelligence platform can make or break your quarter. AlphaSense is the number one rated financial research solution by G2. With AI search technology and a library of premium content, you can stay ahead of key macroeconomic trends and accelerate your investment research efforts. AI capabilities like smart synonyms and sentiment analysis provide even deeper industry and company analysis. AlphaSense gives you the tools you need to provide better analysis for you and your clients. As a yet another value podcast listener, visit alpha-sense.com fs today to beat FOMO and move faster than the market. That's alpha-sense.com fs. All right. Hello, and welcome to the yet another value podcast. If you like this podcast, we mean a lot If you could Rate, subscribe, review, wherever you're watching or listening to it. With me today, I'm happy to have on for, I believe it's the second time, my friend, Kevin Mack. Kevin is the principal we decided at Creek Drive Capital. Kevin, how's it going? Wonderful. How about you, Andrew? Doing great. Well, I tore my pack over the weekend. Not doing (laughs) quite as good as it could be doing, but you know. Uh, Neither here nor there. But before we get started, quick disclaimer to remind everyone, nothing on this podcast is investing in advice. Please be sure to consult a financial advisor, do your own work, all that type of stuff. Uh, Kevin, the reason we're having you back on for the second time is I'm super excited for this. Um, MSG Sphere, the Sphere company, you know, this is if you're online at all, you see the big images of a giant happy face just looming over Las Vegas Strip. That's the Sphere. Uh, they spun out of MSG Entertainment uh, almost a year ago at this point. The Sphere is just starting. Starting to hit full profitability. Actually, I, I'm going through the whole thing. Why am I going through it? You're yeah, on you about MSG you know, Sphere. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm gonna much toss much it over to you. Why is MSG Sphere so interesting?
1: Um, I think the biggest reason why it's interesting is because everything surrounding it is very incongruous. Um you've said it yourself. Everybody other than people that have been living under a rock know about this thing. Um yet the actual interest on the investment side is is next to nothing. Um on top of that, the actual equity itself is strange looking for a five different reasons uh it's a spin-off um it's a operating segment with another business that is almost completely unrelated to it um it is run and owned by or majority uh, controlled by james Dolan, who has a bit of a checkered past uh and and has a baggage with that um and it has no operating history um and so there's no shortage of opinions uh and no shortage of uh ideas about this company, but very few people are A, willing to make a bet on it, uh, and B, willing to sort of do the work on it. Um, and so for that reason, we dug into it pretty deep uh, and have found some very interesting results that, that, that I've been working on for the last two, two months now. I, so I also, by the way, the I way. love Vegas. I'm a huge Vegas enthusiast. So being able to fly to Vegas and diligence this thing was certainly a side perk. Um, and also, just uh, it's, it's a passion of mine to, to know the Vegas market. So this uh, is yeah. a, an interesting.
0: I love Vegas as well. So Bobby Kraft, uh, manager of Planet Microcap, my editor, we'll see if he's actually listening to these podcasts. He... The last time I was in Vegas was for Planet Microcap in April. And when we were flying in, you know, this fear lit up in what? Like August? July. July when i was flying in like i could see you know obviously it was it's not like it was built overnight you could see it but i was kind of looking i was like oh I, I don't know like before they turned it on but i was looking so i'm excited to go next april and I actually get the diligence i'm with you i love vegas it's not just for partying and gambling like the food's incredible yeah, yeah there you mentioned a lot of things i think the most important one is so the one i want to start with last is because they only operated for 2 days in the most recent reported quarter if i'm remembering correct yep. right so I think the most the reason most people i talk to who are so interested in this is this is almost a blank slate right you could paint any type of economics any types of assumptions like for modeling driven people this is really interesting because they can you know if you flex 400 shows to 500 to 600 your gross margin from 40 to 60 like you get crazy results because there's all this flex leverage so let's save that for the end i do want to t- okay. touch on a couple quick points for people who are looking at this the first thing i think people forget is MSGN is inside of this uh, is inside of the sphere. So why don't we just quickly talk about your views on MSGN that's inside of them?
1: Sure. I like the word quick because they are relatively quick. Um, I would say the MSGN it's the regional sports network for the the Knicks uh, and the Rangers and some other smaller regional teams. Um, And it is um, basically this, this um, uh, operating subsidiary and in the space of all of these, regional sports networks that are not doing well. Um, and the biggest problem ultimately is, you know, their revenues are falling uh, and their costs are going up. Um, the, the MSGN specifically has an agreement with MSG Sports, uh, another Dolan-controlled company, to pay for the licensing broadcasting rights for the Knicks and the Rangers. Every single year, they're forced to pay a higher rate due to uh, contractual escalators. Uh, at the same time, they take that and then they, you know, turn it into a in, into a product, sell it to the cable operators, all those people, uh, the dish networks all those people and and that gets just sent out to individual subscribers but because of cord cutting um more and fewer and fewer people are subscribing so your revenues are falling your costs of paying for the license fees going up uh, and so you're losing you're eventually going to lose money um, as of right now this year msgn should produce about 100 million dollars roughly of that type of, of revenues or cash flows um but that's down from two hundred million three uh, three or four years ago uh and it's expected to continue to fall the the the, the revenue the revenues are are forecasted to fall by 5-10% per year. Uh, and that's probably on the teaming side of things. Um, and so that $100 million EBITDA line is going to go down pretty quickly. Uh, unclear where it stops, which is does it go to zero or does it go to negative 100 um, And in the meantime, they have a giant debt line on MSGN for $900 million. Um, and so you're producing $100 million of EBITDA. That's declining $900 million of debt. And that's kind of where you're upside down. Um, there's been some discussion Highlighted multiple places, uh, Value Investor Club being one of them, which is to show that the MSGN deadline is is non-recourse to Sphere. So in theory, in theory, uh, if you're truly just uh, enterprise value-driven, uh, expected value-driven, you could just throw away the entire business, give away the hundred million dollars of EBITDA, but also get rid of the hundred million dollars of debt. You will almost definitely come out ahead in terms of value. Um, and so Sphere could do that. It is unlikely, but not impossible, that 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 the CEO James Dolan would do that. Uh, for a variety of reasons, it's part of his media empire. It's part of his vertically integrated business. Um, and uh, and there's other sort of side issues that have been brought up about how banking relationships and things like that are way more important than than worrying about this. Um, I would say that I've spoken to no less than two dozen people that are you know professional investors in this space. And half of them are <laughs> convinced that they're going to throw away the debt and half of them are convinced that they're never going to throw away the debt. Uh, so I'm strongly in the category of we don't know and nobody really knows. Um, and there's a lot of side ways that MSGN could be sort of pocketed or moved around so that it's not too damaging to the business. Um, for the sake of my analysis, I would say that I've largely ignored MSGN and said that I'm going to assume that this thing's worth about $500 million um, and move on from there. Um, and that's just because I think that there's too many outcomes that are too hard to forecast.
0: That, w- that was a fantastic summary. So just to At the end, you mentioned kind of where I was. So you're assuming that's negative 500 million, right? So if we just said, hey, the sphere of that building is worth 2 billion, MSGN's there minus 500 million. So the whole company would be worth 1.5 billion in in your model. Great. We'll come back to that in a second. No, look, I think that was a great summary. You know, it's really interesting. It's funny because so MSGN, from memory, spun out of MSG Sports in like 2013. And at the time, they had a 20-year-long contract with the Knicks and Rangers that was, it started, if I remember correctly, about $100 million per year. And it escalated by, I think, like 3 three to 5% every year. And at the time, it was actually considered the crown jewel because, right. you know, RSNs, RSN fees were going up 20% per year. And RSNs were having this issue where every three years, they'd have to go back to the sports leagues and be like, hey, we need to renew our rights. And sports leagues would be like, well... Your whole business is you show our games like you've got nothing else. So we're going to take all the economic profits from you. And, you know, it's just funny how that crown jewel of that super long-term contracts has become kind of the death knell as someone mentioned it uh, on one of the most recent earning calls. Regional sports networks have gotten worse and worse economically and all about value- juice has gone to the national contract. So it's right. interesting. I think you did a great summary. You know the, the worry here is, will they walk or will they try to bail out? There's other things too, right? Maybe they can go to JP Morgan and be like, hey, if we give you $500 million for that term loan... Will you just waive the rest of it, right? Like kind of let us basically buy out, serve as our own uh, distressed investor. But no, that was a great summary there. So uh, let's go to, I I guess we can start talking about the sphere overall, right? So the sphere overall, now that we've done MSGN, the only real other asset in there is the sphere. Let's start talking about how you value the sphere. There are a a lot of different revenue streams that are going to come in off this sphere. So why don't you just start talking about how you model and how you start to value this thing?
1: Sure. Okay. So the quick uh, this uh, synopsis of Sphere itself, it's a giant spherical building in Las Vegas. uh, Holds up to twenty thousand people, eighteen thousand seats, two thousand standing room, uh, and it has the external part of it, which is the Exosphere. It's the part that most people have seen. Um, How much it was? uh, How much it was cost? How much cost to build it uh, was? I think in the amount of two point three billion dollars, which was about a billion dollars more than the originally expected to spend. Uh, A you know construction cost overruns always happen. Uh, and COVID, COVID was not COVID. Yeah, exactly. Yep. They built right through COVID, which I'm sure was extremely expensive. Um, and um, and then now that you have this facility, um, your job is to is to fill it up uh, and and to generate as much revenue as possible. Um, there's two main interior revenue streams that come from it. Uh, one is they do live concerts, uh, and you two is the current you know first residency that's in there, uh, packing the place basically three times a week Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Um, and then they've also filmed their own movie, produced their own movie, um, uh, directed by Darren Aronofsky, uh, who's a, uh, Oscar nominated, uh, director. And he, uh, and that, that movie is called postcard from earth. And that movie runs something in the realm of three or four times a day, whenever they are not doing a, a concert or a booking. So you have two sort of revenue streams on that side, which is the, the, the concerts uh, and this movie. Um, and let's talk about those first before we go on to the, the other side of things um the concerts what's interesting and and where things go are is that um it is an extremely well purpose-built facility um what people seem to forget is that a typical concert happens in a large building that was designed for hockey and basketball um that's what arenas are made for they're not made for they're not made for concerts it's an afterthought of oh i guess we're not having a hockey game or a basketball game this this saturday so let's throw some seats and some speakers in there and and, then a stage and call it a, a um a concert um so you know this is purpose-built and, and as a result it's, it's way better the experience is way better the sound quality is way better uh and also all of the uh, interior basically stuff is built for concerts not not for the things so when you set up a concert in Madison Square Gardens you need to move in all your lighting you need to move in all your screens you need to move in all of your speakers you don't have to do that in spirit it's basically ready to go you just stand there and plug in your guitar and go
0: I believe Taylor Swift, there are all these stories about she gave all of her truckers a hundred thousand bonuses and stuff. And the reason she needed a ton of truckers is because, as you said, like when she would go from Kansas City to Chicago, she had to literally take. All of her lights, all of her sound, everything, and she had to throw it on trucks and drive it from. And as you're, seeing, and they usually
1: like, have two or three kits so that they can keep one ahead of them. She, for the she next did, city.
0: I I think that's a Taylor Swift thing. I would be surprised if, like, you know, the <laughs> sure. the, the B level artists are doing that. But yeah, as you said, like, she would send Kansas City to Chicago, but she would have her kit B like before she hit Chicago. She'd be hitting I don't know, what, uh, Milwaukee. So mm-hmm. she'd go to Milwaukee, kit A's there, kit B's in Chicago, and then kit A would head over to Jersey or gone. Yeah, absolutely. And then Sphere, you don't have that like it's all purpose built let me ask you a question on that though right yeah so well i guess i'll let you finish your model and then i'll ask you a sure. question so why don't you consider that
1: so so there's a concert side of things um and you know you need to pay obviously the the, the performer quite a bit of money to, to come and play assuming they're a big act um but the, the thing just oozes uh economics in terms of in terms of fixed costs and having all your fixed costs covered and, and having that operational leverage um with eighteen thousand to 20,000 seats you, know, you can sell a ton of tickets. Uh, you 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 don't necessarily see it, but a typical arena that holds eighteen thousand people for an hockey game, you can't sell eighteen thousand seats because by the time you set up the stage, you've already blocked off three thousand seats that are behind the stage. Um, versus sphere, you have eighteen thousand. That that's an extra twenty percent. Um, the, the the largest cost of a of a concert, yeah, is the fixed cost of the performer. And so once you pay the performer, whether the performers performing in front of five thousand or twenty thousand people, it's the same amount of effort for them. Um, and so get that leverage uh and yeah you can say well a 50,000 person stadium is, is even better leverage but you can't sell those seats for very much because they're sitting you know six <laughs> 600 feet away in, in the bleachers right um versus this setup uh so uh you at the know was, the Taylor sure, Swift tickets
0: true. I looked at over the summer would beg to differ on the you can't yeah, sell that, right, you're that you're much right. but Taylor's I do hear special. what you're
1: saying yeah um but um yeah, it's just, so, so the concert business is very valuable uh, and it's is very profitable. And we can talk about exactly how that, how that comes to be later on. And then the second part is that the movie business. Um, so they've been smart in that they've produced their own movies for a variety of reasons. A, their format is unique to literally anyone else in the world. So you don't have anyone else using the stuff, um, but it's a fixed cost production. And it spends somewhere between 60 to $80 million filled, uh, filming this first Darren Aronofsky movie. Um, and once you've paid it, you're done. And every single ticket you sell is 100% your revenue. Uh, and they are you know selling millions of dollars of tickets uh, every single week for this thing and within the first year they are going to more than payback and uh anytime they show this movie beyond that it's just your free profit um and so like once again from, from the microeconomic hat they just have so much uh, availability to get that operational leverage and, and make tons of money uh and i saw that on day one when i first started looking at the business at a surface level and then i started looking at what saying and that was once again the incongruity. it's the fact that I'm like this thing if it's busy if it's actually popular it's going to make so much money and absolutely everyone was saying this thing's going to lose a ton of money and I really wanted to dig into there and figure out what's going on so let me stop let me let me move from there which the two interior things the exterior things well, there, there uh, some, I, yeah.
0: why, don't, why don't we stop there because the exterior things I think you're going to talk uh, advertising and, if, sure. if, and yeah. rights. but why don't we stop there because I think these two are like really good to discuss and these okay. are actually going to be the main drivers. I mean, That's advertising will be interesting. Naming rights is chair at top, right? That's right. Yeah. thing. But these are the main drivers. That I think this is a great place to ask questions on these. Yeah. So, let me start. Which do you think is going to be more important, the residencies or the like daily airing of the postcards? Because I, I of the purpose built movies. Because I have my own view, but I, I'd be interested in yours.
1: That's a great question. <laughs> I would say that the movie is probably going to be more important, but that it doesn't have to be and that that the residencies is where they have a bit of a safety net.
0: And now a quick break to remind you that this episode is brought to you exclusively by AlphaSense, the AI platform behind the world's biggest investment decisions. AlphaSense gives you the tools you need to provide better analysis for you and your clients. As yet another value podcast listener, visit alpha-sense.com FS today to beat FOMO and move faster than the market. That's alpha-sense.com FS. I I agree with you. And in, in a similar way, like You know, Netflix, when they spend $200 on a Martin Scorsese movie, like, they're generally going to lose money or break even. I I mean, the accounting with Netflix is weird, but that's like the buzzy show to pull you in, where they make Mm -hmm. the money is where everyone watches, you know, all the episodes of Love and Blind, which cost them like $20 to produce, right? Like, To me, what I kind of think it is, not that they won't make money on the U2, but in the most successful version, they'll make money on the residency, but the residencies keep the buzz going around the sphere, and the real profit and the real thing you need to figure out is... Hey, are the movies going to be a success? Because, you know, as you said, five 000, I think it's 5,000 seats per movie. They show mm-hmm. maybe three of them a day. They show mm-hmm. them every day. That's 20 shows at super high margins. Like, if that's a success, that's going to create a ton of money. If nobody's going to those, then, you know, you're, the thing's sitting basically fallow all the time. So let's start on the movies. Um, just a few questions there. You know, did you ever do Sleep No More in New York City? No. Okay, so Sleep No More was this huge warehouse and a five story warehouse, and it was an interactive play. Oh, yeah,
1: you walk around and with the actors around, right? Yes. Okay, I've, 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 I've heard and read about it. I haven't seen it. Yet.
0: lasted for maybe 15 years. It was really cool. One of the coolest things, I, I think, in the city. It wasn't for everyone, but if it was for you, it was re- for really for you. And it was really unique. It's closing in the next month. Now, I think it's closing because it was a five story warehouse in New York City and rent went up on them. But you know, one thing I worry about these really unique attractions is. They're buzzy, right? The hottest club in the city. It's buzzy. People want to go there. People want to do the experience the first time. But, you know, after a little bit of time, the experience starts dying down. And and, uh, it's not as cool. And I worry with the shows, right? Because in October, these shows were selling a ton of tickets. I worry if you and I come back. I mean, I kind of think I looked at the tickets for... You and I are filming this December 19th. I looked at the tickets today, tomorrow, and the next day. And it looked like they had a lot of seats open. I'm not 100% sure. I was just kind of eyeballing. But... I worry that if you and I were doing this podcast in six months, we'd say, hey, like, yeah, a ton of people went the first six months when there was a ton of buzz. But now there's no buzz. And, you know, the thing is lying empty. I, I think you mentioned IMAX. It's kind of like the IMAX that all the kids go to. I-, I worry that the sustain about the sustainability of it. So how do you think of the sustainability of kind of selling out these huge tickets?
1: Sure. Um, I love your your anecdotal check because it's the, the first thing that I get from everybody is, hey, I went on Ticketmaster, and they're not sold out. Um, They have infinite tickets for them. You like, to be clear, like, you know, it's 5,000 per show, three shows a day. If they sell out, they're going to start opening a fourth show or fifth show a day. Um, they literally have to just bring people into the room, press the play button, and print money. Um, on that, um, I think this is where one of my, my sources off Alpha come from. Um, we have written custom scripting software to basically retrieve all of the Ticketmaster sales data every single day. So I have a daily view on all future sales for the show. Um, and I track that on a backlog basis and a historical basis as well. So backlog is in like future 30 days, six days shows that are pre-sold. Um, a big thing about this is it's not like a concert where people are, you know, desperate to get a ticket for three months from now. There's gonna be tickets always available day of. 70% of the tickets are sold in the three days before shows, or, and, and I think 30% of them are sold on the day of the show. So you're always never, like, you're, you're never gonna be anecdotally be able to browse, and be like, oh yeah, this is really hot. Um, since October's launch ticket sales are up okay and also prices are up um so the the first week or first month of buzz hasn't materialized it's actually gotten better um, so even
0: like even yeah. last week and this week you're tracking and it's kind of at the the same levels of the October and November sales
1: it's higher
0: okay yeah
1: um and so that's where that's that's like that's literally where that is right now and we can talk a little bit more about that 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 game in, in a little bit um, the word I like to use is that the audience in Vegas is temporally homogeneous. Um, every single week, every single month, it's a brand new group of people. It's not like New York City where you have you know 15 million locals uh, and you saturate that group. And yeah, you have tourists as well, but you know. Um, and also, I mean, you just said it yourself that 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 show ran for for 15 Sleep No More ran for 15 years. Uh, they can get <laughs> they can get five years out of Postcard. That's great. Um, I don't think it's the format of the experience that is driving the the like it's important obviously but it's not the key driver in the next 5 years they are going to make another 10 to 15 films for the sphere and i guarantee you that one of those 10 films will be better than what's available at postcard probably 6 or 7 of them will be better than postcard postcard was the very first film ever made for that place um and it is not in any way the the the, the I, I think a good exhibition of, of the best way of using the medium it's it's the first way that they did. um I'm extremely excited for the types of content that they make, and and, and like building building some really interesting movies. I've, I I have a, a slight mini dream of uh, of even going back in time uh, and reproducing or remastering some films. Um, um, you know, some people say the obvious, oh, Star Wars and that. I'm thinking something even simpler, like the movie Gravity. I don't know if you George Clooney and Sandra Bullock in 20.
0: I did not see it. I, I know the movie. Were... Well, it's me... set. It's set so, in space, so you I, could just.
1: I... Re- yeah, go ahead. I've
0: heard this argument, yeah. right? And I have not seen Postcard and you have. So you, yes, you've got. But, you know, if you went and saw gravity at this movie, like, I'm sure it'd be cool. It'd be a huge screen. Right. But yeah. how much cooler than it would be for IMAX? Because I think like the thing with Postcard is it's how interactive it is, not interactive, but it's how much like the sensations are coming. Whereas gravity, like you'd have to go. I guess you could, but
1: you would feel like to- you're in space the whole time. You'd be able to look up and look around you and just see stars instead. of. Would
0: that that be that interesting, though? Because like the the point of a movie is you're focused on George Clooney and Sandra Bullock, right? Sandra Bullock's on the screen. Actually, George Clooney's on the screen. I'm going to focus on the two of them. So like you're going and seeing it. it, How much better is it than like a giant IMAX at that point, right? Because if I want to turn to the right and look 90 degrees and I just see a bunch of stars, like. That's cool, but I'd rather just go, like, see a custom-built, like, star show than Gravity, you know?
1: So, I mean, the, I, I think the question is, am I going to be going three times a year to the Sphere to watch movies there? No. It's more of every single visitor to Vegas for the next 20 years is going to want to yes. go to the Sphere to watch something.
0: Dol- Dolan mentioned this on one of the calls, too, right? I, I yeah. think his stat was, like, more than 20 million visitors go through, through Las Vegas every year. Million. Okay. So, you mentioned the home homogeny and you said New York, which I am insulted because New York's got a lot, but it's got got a lot of tourists coming through too. Yeah
1: no no it does. It does it does 50 it's more than Vegas 50 million. Yeah. So
0: if if I just did five thousand seats, right? So let's just assume one one a day and I am assuming it's sold out but because they do two a day let's say it's 60% Five thousand is probably fine. Five thousand seats times 365 like that's 1.8 million views, right? So you're kind of assuming just to get to that 5,000 number, and I think some of the bull cares or even your base case has more because you're doing like two or three yep. shows per day. You're assuming 5% of visitors are going to go pay how much is Planet now? About 100 bucks. They're going to pay 100 bucks to go see sit through this thing. Like, I, I understand it's a homogenous and like lots of people come through, but 5% of the visitors going to see this does like that tickles me as kind of high.
1: I, I, i'm not sure i i i would say I, it doesn't it's a 120 um it's it's the sphere it's it's the thing to do like when you go to vegas you're looking to spend money on attractions right um and like it's one of those you're looking to go see a cirque du soleil show but there's eight of them so you got to pick one of those eight right you want to go see the sphere there's only one of them there's an eight of those right so like i I think we can we can agree that there's going to be some number of people that are going to see it. The exact number, whether it, you think you think five percent is high, I actually think it's closer to seven percent. What what I'm modeling, I I don't think it's crazy. I I and Cirque du
0: Soleil, that's a crystal ball right? problem. Yeah. Cirque du Soleil, I I, I like it because I do hear you. You go, you spend two hundred dollars to see like a sexy acrobatic show, right? That's what Cirque du Soleil is. Sure, huh. but. It is much smaller, right? How many, probably 150 to 200 people fit into the circus lay stadiums? No, I haven't well, seen one in a while.
1: 3,000 to 5,000. 3, okay, so shows. it is bigger than that. Eight, eight shows are running too. But it is, the strip.
0: it is like, people pay more to see like actual in-person things versus to see screenings of things, right? Like I, I think about Hamilton, you go on Broadway, you'll pay for a while, it was like $500 a ticket versus... Disney Plus, they just stream it. Or Taylor Swift, you pay $1,000 to see it in person versus you can go see it at AMC for $10. Now, I understand that's a movie that's... But, you know, Postcard is a big movie. So isn't there something to Circus say, like, I actually like this comp to some extent, but I'm also kind of thinking, hey, seeing something live in person versus just seeing the film, we've just got an issue if people will pay more for the in-person
1: experience. I think that that is uh, not... I think that that is something that is a little bit dated. That that view, okay, no okay. different than the similar dated people of like, why do the kids these days spend so much time watching people play video games on? Twitch? Oh, I, well, like, I don't... That, that, that that is ridiculous. Like, you could play the video game yourself. Why are you watching someone else play it? You could play football. And then I'm gonna go watch people, the football game. Yeah, I, you could play football yourself. Like with
0: people. You watch the best in the world play football. I, I definitely hear that, but I just think like we've got 20 years of like AMC tried to AMC has tried for years to do what sure. is it that Fuse events where they bring the opera. I mean, people will pay what 500 a ticket to go see the opera in New York City, and AMC will bring it to you, and you could go pay 20 bucks to see it in their theater, like nice, comfy seats, big screen. Right. And I don't think they ever even sell out, you know. So sure. I just feel like there is something to it, seeing people in person versus we nash let me switch it up yeah i I get that
1: i think that that's something that we have to agree to disagree on which is i'm i'm willing to say that the data that is coming in now i just find it i I don't think that a year from now people are like the sphere is old and crap and not interesting anymore five years from now seven years from now maybe but a year from now definitely not um that
0: would jump ahead to our discussion of multiples like yeah. So, I'll save that part for the, the... And again, I'm not locked into anyone. Like, sure. I'm all over the place on the sphere. I, sure. The only part of the sphere I don't love is James Dolan, but... Okay. uh, <laughs> uh let, let me just switch another. So, again, I've read all your articles, and I know you comp the Rockettes a lot of time. And the Rockettes are another interesting one to me, because the Rockettes is... It is literally an annuity, right? You run the Christmas spectacular every year, you get 100 million dollars of revenue from it. It's not like there's a lot of costs. Yes, you have to do the dancers and securities, but you know, you can find dancers in New York City who are willing to work quite cheaply. They make a lot of profit on that. I think it's 100 yes. million in revenue at like 60% margins. Uh it's great. They have pricing power. It's fantastic. You use that cop, which I think is interesting, but the other the other side of that coin is again having followed this for a while. They've tried to like, like launch the rockets into something other than just the Christmas Spectacular right. uh, multiple times. The most recent was in the mid-2010s. It was like the spring or summer Spectacular and it failed absolutely miserably. And I think some of that could be attributed to the product just wasn't good. But I think some of that also could be attributed to like, hey, the Christmas Spectacular is like an American tradition and some people go see it every year. There's no demand beyond that. And I kind of just like with the spear, I guess this is bleeding into the same old question, but I just worry like right now, it's really big, but in 18 months, are you really going to be able to sell out all of these things? Is there like just a limited demand for it, you
1: know? Sure. Um, I I totally get it. I think that's also where the beginning statement I made was um, I can see the live part being a very good sort of backup crutch. Uh, and even when it's a backup crutch, it's still an exceptionally profitable one. Uh and just to throw some numbers around for the audience just so we can hit it. it. Um the gross margin from a two concert is probably in the realm of about a million bucks a night, a million bucks a day. Um and the gross margin from running the the, the movie right now is probably about one point two, one point three million. Uh yeah, about one point well, dollars a day kind of thing. And so it's not a huge difference. Uh and at the same time, we're talking about YouTube on a Friday night versus watching a movie on a Tuesday night. Um so um the difference is not day and night difference um and if you can get something that's even more interesting on the movie side of things that's where things go crazy because because the the two slash live performance thing probably caps at about a million a million and a half in gross profit in a given evening versus if you have a, a crazy sick movie that everyone wants to see then you could be making two three million dollars a day uh, which would be insane but
0: yeah let's let's switch over to uh Reson- Let's just talk Residencies because it, sure. it is interesting, right? Like you 2 I think that this is what it was designed for, right? When Dolan is a huge music fan, he's spent money on music ventures before. You know, I think half the reason he continues to own the Knicks is because it, it'll get him like he he did, uh, he got his band onto Jimmy Fallon once. Like he he's a big music head and he bought right. this because he wanted to be. Residencies is what it's designed for. I guess my question is, you're going to make some money on the Residencies, right? But I kind of feel like all the economic profits are going to get sucked out by the artists and I'll tell you why there just aren't a lot of artists who can go and fill like a uh, 18,000 seat stadium at 200 bucks a pop 20 nights in a row, which I, I guess that actually is the first question because of how unique the sphere is, as we talked about with the lights and everything, I don't think artists can come through and do like a one or two night show like they do when they're moving all their equipment around. I think the cost and design are too expensive to just justify like coming in for a one night show. Am I thinking about that incorrectly?
1: I think a one night show would be certainly tricky um and probably I mean, you could do it just it wouldn't be great. Um, the, the the creating the visuals is non is non-trivial in terms of pricing. and so so yeah, absolutely i would i would I would lean towards that. The caveat I would do is that I could see them doing some pretty interesting sort of like I would say indie band like type things where, you know, three or four indie bands come in, they each play for 35, 40 minutes, people are paying a hundred bucks a ticket and the visuals are just generic. As in, yeah. we've, like, you know, 1990s, like, Amp, like, we've created all kinds of interesting, psychedelic, cool looking things that you'll just watch while you listen to the music. Um, could
0: you, yeah, or I wonder if you could even just like, because this sounds so good, just kind of not use the lighting system at all and just, right. as you're saying, listen to like, uh Streisand or Celine Dion, just get up there and like croon, you know, and the, you'll, you'll hear it in perfect... So I, I guess you could do that. Anyway, to continue that line, like U two is a huge get, right? And the I, I worry that there are only 25 artists in the world who could sell uh, 18,000 seats, tickets, 20 times, 10 times in a row. And because of that, like they're going to suck all the economic profit out. And I don't think that kills the thesis, right? Because if you go back to what I originally said, I feel like the artists drive the buzz and then all the profit actually comes from if you can get the the movie side of it, right? But I, I worry that they're going to run real quick into... Like, right now, it seems like they're going from U2 to, I think, John Mayer and the Grateful Dead is the rumored next yep. residency, which, no. that's big. They're oh, no, F- Fish lucky. is
1: next, and then after Fish is, is is uh Dead and Company. Yeah. Both, of those least... are,
0: both of those are huge, though. I'd say they're probably a little bit of a step down from U2, but, you know, it, it seems like you start running out of shows to throw up there pretty quickly.
1: I don't think so. Um, I mean, when you say they're also huge steps up, like someone like Harry Styles uh, is almost definitely gonna do it i mean through the connections that they have from msg and all that kind of stuff um and you know there have been plenty of rumors talking about that as well um lady gaga is a possibility Beyonce's in talks with it um i think also
0: beyonce is an interesting one because i feel like beyonce and taylor swift would be your dreams right but i almost feel like they're too big right where they can go and generate this nationwide buzz and go into cities and spend you know a thousand dollars for a ticket two nights in a row and then move on i i They're interest that's interest because it drives so much buzz but i wonder if they're too big but maybe they are the right people and for them if you like hey everyone fly to you do the same show 20 nights in a row take a huge share of the economics don't have to travel all all this sort of stuff like pretty damn
1: profitable for them yes and and when you say a huge share of the economics i think that's an important thing to think about which is that although it's a huge share of the economics on a uh relative basis as in relative to what they would typically get from an arena show in a city um on a percentage basis relative to sphere, there's a lot of money left over. Uh, and, and this is one of the the big misconceptions, I think, is you know, if you Google it, you know, residencies in Las Vegas are lost leaders. And and even Dolan himself on 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 one of his conference calls, he said the residency business is well, I'm not gonna call it a lost leader. And as soon as he said that, everyone keyed into this is a lost leader, even though he said it wasn't. Um, you know, when you think about Adele playing at, at Caesars or whatever, it's a five thousand person auditorium. The most you can sell ticket for is like maybe 300 bucks, 350 bucks. Um, you have to pay Adele a million dollars to show up. So 5,000 tickets at 350, you're left like you know, like $1.7 million in revenues per night. Adele takes a million of it. You only have 700,000 left. You still have to pay $250,000 to like, you know, get everything up and running and get crowds in and out. There's not a lot. of But you've profile, got right? the
0: crowds going in and out to hit the slots on the women button
1: out. But when big. you, yeah, and that's where they make their money, right? But when you have a 20,000 person place like Sphere and you can charge $350 or $400 a ticket or 450 a ticket because it's The Sphere and not just some decrepit theater at the back of Caesars Palace, um, you now have a $9 million revenue line to work. So pay Adele $3 million or $4 million instead of a $1 million to show up and sing, and you still have $5 million left to pay for The Sphere and everything like that. Um, and so that's why I'm like, yes, there's. Uh, it makes so much sense for the artists to do this. But there's still so much money left over uh, on the table for Spirit to be taking a, a good chunk of it.
0: Let me just so just uh, I do just to go back to the buzziness of the artists, right? Like you two, I think could still sell out a nationwide show. John Mayer and the Grateful Dead, I, I think they've done well. Harry Styles certainly could sell out nationwide shows. I, I just wonder, like, is there anything to let's say Beyonce cho- chooses to do a 20 night residency here versus going to uh, continuing like a world tour or something? Does doing a world tour? generate like more buzz or more passion around fans that were kind of, that kind of don't get quite captured in the economics the same way that doing a residency for like, uh, people who are traveling to Vegas right now, maybe some people would travel to Vegas for Beyonce, but does it have any like side brand effects that she's not capturing? Does that make sense? Like I think the answer cool. is
1: the, the yeah. obvious answer is yes. It's, it's different traveling to 20 different cities or, or, or 10 different cities, two nights per city versus doing Vegas nights. Um, the answer, I think the I think a pretty resounding answer is that you will make more money doing Vegas. Another easy thing to say is that it is way easier to do Vegas because you're not yeah. flying and, and sleeping on buses and well, in private jets every single night. But, but um, you know, it's just so much more straightforward for that artist to, to do Vegasphere than it is to tour. <laughs> and so the answer isn't that you have one or the other. The answer is that you do both. You know, right now you do a 20 or 30 night stint for for eight months while you take a break and give your crew a break from being on the road. And then two years from now, you start another, you know, road tour. Um, That's that's how I see it.
0: It, You two, you mentioned does Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday, Fridays and Saturdays. Like you could imagine Taylor Swift Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's like, hey, you know, you could do probably if she wanted to price up 50 million of revenue in a weekend doing doing three shows a night like that. Right. And then you've got. Monday through Thursday to
1: relax recuperate all that type of stuff so you, you could have see that. let's try- and then I could also see them doing like they can do a big artist Friday Thursday Friday Saturday and they could do a small artist Monday Tuesday Wednesday um and and when you say I don't think there's enough people that are willing to do this I'll keep going to the fact that they're selling 15,000 tickets a day to see a not so great movie at 100 bucks a pop so a pretty good artist like I would say that an artist that couldn't sell out a fifteen thousand person theater uh, arena in their local in a local city certainly not for five nights can definitely do Sphere because the Sphere has its own aura to it. I mean, um, I went to U two; it was great. I, I found some of the, uh, the headlines that were kind of mocking them, kind of funny and true, uh, because U two obviously has their 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 uh, fans and the detractors. It was like um, beautiful visual show at the Sphere uh, interrupted by Irish pop band. <laughs> And and actually, it was said multiple times, which was like the visuals almost took away from 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 the band um, because it was just such a beautiful uh, visual spe- spectacle um, that the band became a, a little bit of a second uh, act to it. Uh, I think U two did a very good job weaving those two together. Really. I'm not a huge U two fan. I enjoyed the concert, um, um, and and then there's all this other stuff, just like you know, the EDM scene in Vegas, absolutely massive and huge, and we haven't even touched that yet. And so, start bringing in the Calvin Harris's. Uh, and the Martin Garrixes uh into sphere and putting on shows there. And and those crews are so well versed in doing what I want to say dynamic production. Um, they travel all the time. They go to different clubs every weekend and they just are given a, a lightboard, a soundboard, they load their digital files and they 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 set up and show a kind of different but similar show every single weekend at different venues. Um they... so they're kind of plug and plug.
0: That's a great point. That's an absolutely fantastic point. Obviously, they have a, a deep background in, like, I think Calvin Harris did resident. They've got a deep background in Vegas. Let me just ask one more point, and I'll, we'll talk sustainability later. And I want to go to the outside, but just one more point. So, you're very bullish on postcard. You can tell you're very bullish on the movie. Like, I do. Okay, so I'm bullish on postcard. I'm, bu- I'm bullish on the movies. Postcard's is... Bullish on movies. Ignore postcard. Yeah. Okay. Bullish on movies. I do. And maybe they can just keep refreshing and keeping it up to date. And we'll speak more to so like the long term valuation here. But I just keep thinking back to the 90s, right? Mm-hmm. When I would go see the IMAX movie at the aquarium or something, right? And now they hadn't put any money into it. Like it was probably an eight year old IMAX movie. But I kept thinking like, oh, this was like the height of technology when it came out. And they hadn't updated the uh, the product but, you know, the technology aged really quickly, right? It was like, hey, it was the height of technology when it came out, but I can go to the IMAX down the street at the movie theater or like a lot of times my TV screen might be better these days. You know, right now, this is like the height of technology. But, you know, if I if we run this forward five years and you think about TV screens getting better, AR getting better, VR getting better, like how comfortable are you that going into the sphere, you know, paying a hundred bucks to go in the sphere is still going to be this big draw if we just keep going down the line a little bit.
1: I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, um, and I don't want to get too too much into this because that's like a, a technologist uh, podcast versus a versus a finance and investment podcast a little bit. But um, you, you just you think that this is a little bit of a of a of a gimmick, um, I kind of see this as the natural evolution. Um, and when you said AR VR, like Apple and Meta, you know, they're going to be pushing their headsets hard. They need content. They need killer apps to run those things. Um, and the movie like postcard and future productions are the types of things that Apple and Meta are going to want to push into these platforms. They don't want to just be like, hey, you know, buy our headset and you can watch a movie and it's going to be big. It's buy our headsets and watch this really cool movie that James Cameron did in 3D immersive, not through or, or 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 in one or uh, 270 degree immersive, right? The, the movies are I can see a world, uh, I've said this before, where the immersive video is basically the the next step after HD. Um, you know, and it's it's not this is a cool Epcot Center type of gimmick. It's, uh, you know, 10 years from now, we will be looking at everything in the immersive space. Um, cameras uh, in, on the football field will be done in immersive and yeah. you'll watch it on your Apple or your Meta or whoever else's VR headset and you'll be able to look around a stadium from your living room, right? Um, and so Sphere is just a, a better version of that, uh, which is very specific to to that world. Um, yeah, you could do it at home with your headset, but it's better to do it in the sphere. Um, That's where I see the, the sort of video source. Yeah.
0: No, that makes sense. Let's talk about the outside of the sphere real quick. And this is you know, if you were on Twitter at all from call it July to, to, it's not recently more today, but you would see the sphere, you know, they had the big smiley face looking around or the big eyeball looking around. They've done lots of takeovers with the NBA advertised, a lot of the NBA in season tournament, tons of advertisements. So there's going to be a lot of revenue streams from those. Why don't you quickly address uh, how you think about these kind of outside revenue streams we'll call them
1: a lot of it's gravy uh, as you said also with the naming rights things like that um you know i have modeled that they're gonna make something like 40 million dollars 50 million dollars a year in, in ad revenue it could be 100 150 it could be 25 um it's gonna take some time um it's already quite doing quite well um in q4 calendar q4 uh, we're at something like 15 to 20 million dollars already uh so that annualizes to something like 50 to 60 million dollars is it gonna pick up or is it gonna you know diminish hard to say it's getting a lot of coverage uh, when you put an ad on the sphere, you're going to end up with a lot of virality on TikTok and all that stuff. You know, someone's always going to want to be the first person to, to post that on TikTok. Uh, and, you know, naturally, people want to see it and, and are interested in it. Um
0: is it still going as viral? Because this might just be me, and it might be because uh, our friend Matt Rosen on Twitter, who's been on the show before, I think you might follow him, I'm not sure. But, you know, he used to be big into the sphere, and I think he exited to wildly bet on a few other things that work for him. But he would always be posting, so maybe not seeing. But I just feel like I'm seeing less viral images of the sphere. Like, Have people started adjusted and getting used to it, or do you, think, do you track that they're still going as viral?
1: I think i don't track how viral they're going not in any kind of spreadsheet or anything like that i think that it's always going to be hit and miss in terms of who does an interesting ad and who doesn't do an interesting ad um the video game manufacturers like xbox stuff like that they're 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 pushing hard to some of the ones they did were
0: really cool they had some really cool
1: ones yeah and so when you have pandora or target doing an ad you're like okay this isn't going to be that much i think also you know you've always got these big company marketing decks that are looking for a new toy to play with uh and so similar to like super bowl ads or whatever it's not something that they necessarily have to justify. It's on their $200 million marketing line, they spent a half a million or a million dollars on this Sphere project. So they have something in their slide to show that they're doing something interesting and different versus we bought another $8 million of Facebook ads. Here's our ROAS, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think that on the base case, it's always going to do quite well. But uh, on, on an extreme case, I think it can, it can really do quite quite well. Um, you know, Billboard ads in New York City do very well in, in Times Square. I think that that's a reasonable comp. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's that. Yep. you mentioned billboard i'm glad you because
0: the one thing i worry about i'm with you but there's two things i worry about a it's so big that right now it's novel but i could see you know 10 months from now it is like that shitty thing that's like just advert, like white pollution everywhere like it's no longer novel and people are actually kind of annoyed by it and so that's one i worry. like right now you pay a premium but 10 months from now like nobody wants to take it because everybody's just so frustrated by it sure and i don't think that's gonna happen but it, it isn't the Back of mind, because I have heard some Vegas residents like you saw the guy who's golfing and the eyeballs basically looking at him and it's a cool TikTok viral thing. Yeah. But I imagine if that guy's golfing every day and he's got this eyeball, he's like he's so pissed at the view. That's what and then number two, you mentioned the Times Square billboard. Like, how much does it cost to make one of these ads for this beer? Because even Dolan said, hey, you don't just go slap an ad up there. For a billboard, it costs like nothing, right? You slap it on there. It's Times Square. People are moving through. They they change them like crazy. You know, I think they show one for 10 seconds and then it goes to the next one. For this, it's like a full day takeover. It seems pretty involved. You have to get like artists and designers and stuff. Like, are, It's not quite as easy to change, which I worry like limits a little bit of the billboard comparison.
1: So the gross margin that they're publishing for the very limited amount of time they've done so far is 80%. Uh, and the ad cost is about half a million dollars, $400,000 for four fifty for a day, uh, six fifty dollars for a week. I'm sure they give some discounting here and there. Uh, we'll get more clarity on it later on. I think it's clearly incremental and extremely high-margin business. Um, 80% margin means that it's costing $100,000 to build the ad. So as, 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 to your point, it's expensive to build that ad for $100,000. But when you're charging $450,000 or $500,000 for it, it's, it's definitely worth it. Um, and they're getting a lot better uh, at building the ads and building tools to build the ads. Um, which I think is worth pivoting a little bit to, which is talking a little bit more about the economics, um, about how it's kind of misunderstood uh, in terms of the business. Um, this year, you know, what the rough forecast is for me and, and realistically the street has caught up to me for the most part, um, is that the Spears' revenue as a four-walled facility is, is going to be about $600 million. Uh, and the gross margin on that's going to be about 70-ish percent. Uh, so they're going to come away with 450, 400 or $450 million of gross profit. Um, so, to your point about, well, what happens if revenues fall by 50% for Postcard, you still have a big nut to work with on that. Um, and that's the entire enclosed cost of running the Sphere. Now, what's what's throwing things off, there's uh, effectively two things falling things off the MSG Networks part we already talked about, uh, which is potentially going to be losing money in the future. Um, and then there's the Sphere Studios. So, they have this facility in Burbank, California, which is a production studio. Um, they use that to beta test. The software to build tools to build all that kind of stuff, um, and that costs on an sg basis about 350 40 million dollars a year. Um, only about 100 million of that is actually required to operate the sphere on an ongoing 365 day basis. The rest of that is building growth for future spheres, for future technology, for future stuff. Um, I'm shocked that that hasn't come down, by the way, but it hasn't. Um, and so, you know, if you're a private equity shop and you're like, I just want to pure play cash count this thing, so I'm going to buy the building for a couple billion dollars, you know, and then just run it uh, with, you know, just bands or run it with just, um, you know, mediocre movies. Um, you can be pulling out 300, 250, 300 million dollars of, of of EBITDA a year. Um, and that's at a considerably diminished revenue line than, than we are right now. Um, and I think that that is what scares people a little bit, which is that, you know, well, first of all, the entire industry, the entire street was like, this thing is not going to make money. So the last year they've been all saying this thing's not going to be profitable and you know my work is where i was very very different from where i was saying no this is absolutely going to make money um and so far guidance has proven me to be right um but it's still one of those things that we're comparing apples and oranges which is the sphere itself is almost definitely as a building going to be extremely profitable uh how they manage the expense line uh and and what that expense line can produce in the future uh is where things get really interesting
0: yeah and look i i think this is why the opportunity so unique, right? Like I've taken to I like things that are n of ones, where they're they're unique. There's nothing else like it in the market, whether that's an event that's unique uh, or a or a company that's unique. Like this is absolutely an n of one. The only thing, the only other publicly traded uh, kind of stadium is Madison Square Garden, the which owns Madison, and that's just like a traditional stadium that's you know it's the only stadium in manhattan so of course there's like scarcity value and it's got all this like the sphere there's nothing else in the world like it which is so interesting because as you said like small as we said the small changes to the model it's huge fixed costs huge operating leverage i guess let me start let me address three things you asked there when you look at analyst numbers this is a pretty decently covered stock right morgan stanley has an analyst jp morgan has an analyst i think uh a few smaller boutique firms covered as well What do you think the main difference between your very bullish buy rating? Like, I think one of your articles said, I think this is worth $90 per share. Analysts have a $25 target. Like, what do you think the main difference between your target and analyst targets are?
1: I've done the work on the unit economics of the business. Um, They have not. Um, Very, very clear. I can't, I can't. It's the most clear situation I've seen in my life of looking at companies where these analysts have just taken some random cops that they feel like are somewhat applicable. And then applied it and haven't thought about the actual business or how it works. Um, the numbers are 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 comically wrong. Um, I'll won't name them. One of the analysts is saying that the food and beverage attach rate on a ticket is is 63%. So like if you spend $200 on a ticket, you're gonna spend $125 on food somehow. Like that model just does not make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> right. Um, and then um, you know, the margins the street was sitting at 50%, 55%. I was sitting at 70%, 75%. Uh, in the last six weeks, the street has come up to 69%. They're probably still going to go a little bit higher. Um, the street doesn't like the company. I mean, in general, the, the, the market doesn't like the company. They don't like James Dolan, saying, like you. Um, They don't want to give it credit. Uh, and that's that's a great spot for Contrarian to be like, look, and and what I've said multiple times before as well really cool, is usually when you're disagreeing with analysts, it's because your crystal ball is different than their crystal ball. You know, I'm going to disagree with you. And me and you are disagreeing on like revenue outlook. You know, the next six to 12 months, you know, uh, how many people are going to actually show up at postcard? Is it going to fall significantly or is it going to hold steady? Um, and no one can prove that right or wrong, right? The issue is that today, right now, people are going to go see postcard. There's a certain number that are going. I know how many people are going to go. And I know how much it costs to run the sphere for those people. And I know that they're going to make dollars of gross uh, $800,000 of gross margin today. You are saying they're going to make $100,000 of ghost today. There is a actual truth to this that can be proven. Me, um,
0: I, I looked at the secure the website for two seconds. I wasn't saying anything. It just it looked like there were a lot of blue. Let me ask corporate governance. You said, hey, the street doesn't like Dolan, which I would agree with. There's a lot of reasons. And I guess the two things, the three things I want to ask are naming rights, right? I think the naming rights could be huge. You know, it, it, he's kind of been... Wishy-washy on the call when asked about him. I agree. The naming rights could be huge. People will say, hey, but if I look at his history, Madison Square Garden, not named. Radio City Hall, not named. Uh, The Forum in LA, which they owned for a while, not named. It doesn't seem like he likes naming these buildings. And you mentioned a private equity firm could cash flow 250 to $300 dollars or some something. I just think like, I don't think he runs this like a private equity firm. Like I'm kind of worried he's not gonna look for those naming rights. So I'll ask that specific question and then we can use it to build it into like, should there be a James Dolan discount here? Because again, he was gonna build it for 1.3 billion. It ended up costing 2.3 billion. It sounds yeah. like you think even that 2.3 he'll get a pretty good return, but I, I think a lot yeah. of people look at that cost over and like, oh my God.
1: Sure. Um I you, you've characterized it correctly. Um I think on the naming rights, um, could be huge. Will he sell it or not? I mean, they they partnered with uh, his other business partner, uh, Azov, uh, who is huge in in this space. And, and their responsibility is to sell the sponsorship and naming rights to the entire building. Um, so I think there's an element of, he's, he's taking it off his plate. Obviously, he'd have to approve anything. Um, but I think that they have a, a big sales team that is actively trying to, to do this. Um, my guess is they're not getting the exact price they want, um, and they're being patient about that. Um, I've heard other people talk about Apple music meta um, being good options you know once again it's it's this immersive this immersive media space uh, is probably gonna pick up I mean there's a lot of investment happening in it uh does it land here or not who knows um I look at that as pure upside as well so I don't model that as being an important part but uh, if if they do pick it up you know it's 30 million 50 million dollars a year which is you know an extra five to fifteen dollars per share kind of thing it's, it's pretty it's pretty big
0: it's uh, just on. You mentioned private equity firm could pull 250 to $300 million out. And the two things, the three things I worry about the corporate governance discount, which we just kind of addressed, so we don't have to talk about it. I obviously, I'm a little concerned about like six months in, What is the uh, what do the attendance numbers look like? Because I think right now there's still a lot of buzz, but I do worry like, I don't know. It's just hard for me to get in my mind around like 5% of the visitors to Las Vegas going to see the show. And maybe it's hard for me because like I've gone with friends and it's hard for me to get them to go see one magic show with me. I, I don't know. But those are the two. I think we've addressed those. I think you've addressed those really well. The third point I wanted to ask is this kind of goes along the IMAX rock, but right. The sphere costs $2.3 billion. This was a big, big investment. If you've ever gone to a football stadium, like a year after it's been built, it requires it looks pristine. It requires no DNA, right? If you go maybe six to seven years, it really starts showing its age. And then after 10 years, it really starts showing its age. And I guess my worry with this fear is this comes back to, I think your multiples I've seen you use when you value this thing is like somewhere between 12 to 15 times, right? And it's their adjusted operating income line, which is their EBITDA number. I worry that DNA is really real. And this year and next year, it's not real because this thing's brand new. Mm-hmm. But I worry six years from now, we're going to be looking like even Madison Square Garden, they just did a $1.2 billion CapEx upgrade. I worry six years from now, they're going to have to put in a lot of CapEx, a lot of maintenance CapEx is going to spin up. And especially because this thing is so unique and so technolo- technologically advanced, I worry that people are going to be surprised by, hey, it's not like we're just like repouring steel and concrete. We actually need to go higher like the best electrical engineers in the world to come, like spruce this thing up to keep it fresh, to keep that buzz going. You know, so how do you kind of? I guess I'm asking both: how do you think about the long term DNA, which will be real for this, and how do you think about applying a multiple off an EBITDA number that is kind of ignoring that real DNA there?
1: Yeah, I I would say that I've I've it's 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 not explicitly stated, but I would say that it's somewhat baked into the you know, it's going to cost 20 to $50 million per year kind of thing of of, of maintenance, CapEx type of thing to, to be there. Um, and even that, it, it's such a unique building that it's hard to say where it exactly lands. I, I would say that um, I have looked at the, re, uh, the technology side of things. I talked to a couple people in, in the AV space. Um, it shouldn't be that bad. Like some people that aren't in the AV space are like, oh my God, it's big screens. You know, it's going to be a big problem. But the way they have built it, um, everything's an individual pixel. It's a puck. Uh, on the outside on the inside it's individual pixel elements that are part of an array um when things burn out it's actually it's it's, it's you know when you're a when, when your 4k TV burns out you need to throw away or that does not burn out when it has dead pixels you can't fix those um in sphere it's actually comically to just pull off the dead pixel and replace it kind of thing right so on the technology side of things it'll be pretty straightforward on the physical fixture side of things you know seats cushions like I, I don't know i i did think about that myself as well which like they have really 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 long escalators in there and my experience with escalators everywhere except that they're never working um so i could see that that being pretty pretty messy um hey, it's but, it's funny you mentioned it because every time I've
0: been to vegas you know how the strip has like the y-
1: you can walk up yes
0: I i think half the escalators every time I see is they're out and, and yeah I've yeah with you. no the 50 million number you mentioned is interesting because Most stadiums, I think, depreciate over 20-year life. Now, they're probably 30-year assets, but again, you've got to spruce these things up. But if you use a 20-year life on the $1.3 billion initial number, that would come to about 60 million of maintenance capex annually instead of 50 million. But it's just an interesting number on the initial number. Like, do you think this was a $1.3 billion project or a $2.3 billion project? Because that could be like kind of a doubling of the difference in maintenance capex. I don't know if I'm thinking about that quite correctly. I have so many notes, but we've been going for an hour. I, I guess where I want to end is, This cost, as I just said, it ended up costing about two point. Actually, I'll come back to that. Let's start with the last thing. James Allen has been clear. He does not want this to be just the sphere. He wants there to be multiple spheres. They had land in London. I think London denied the request for a sphere, so they wrote that off, it seems like. It seems like they are in talks with uh, Qatar. Qatar. I never know if it's Qatar or Qatar. It seems like they're in talks to build one there. They've been pretty clear that Want to do a franchise model with this, right? So right. I I I'm so interested in this. I just want to ask, like, how do you think about valuing the franchise model? Like, does your investment thesis work if they never build another one? What do you think the likelihoods of it are? Because I've never seen a franchise model on like a building before, right? It, sure. It's a really interesting thought study. So, just what are your thoughts on if you needed how that it works out? All that.
1: Yeah. Um. So I think if they, if they don't build another sphere then it generally should mean that, that 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 Burbank facility is not nearly as important as it is right now. So you'll it, still need to make it was ma-
0: we're asking. So you think that GNA number is coming way down if we don't get another sphere.
1: Correct. Yes. I do think that. Um, you know you do need that building uh, to to still build content for the next band and stuff like that, but you just don't need nearly as many people and all kind of stuff uh, happening there. Um so that's that's one side of things. So, so and that's what I'm talking about. Like that's paying for the growth. Um I would think that you know the cleanest way to do it is somebody else fully finances it. They're like you know in Qatar, Dubai, we're Saudi Arabia. They're like we're going to build a sphere. We're going to pay for all of ourselves. We'll pay you something between the realm of fifty to hundred million dollars a year in franchise slash licensing slash rev share to be able to use your content. Um, and that's where I actually see the most of the moat for the business, which is that they have like if you you could build your own sphere in your own city without touching MSG Sphere or touching sphere co- company. Um, but the problem is you don't have anything to put on there. You don't have a movie. Uh, then you have to shoot your own movie. If you want to shoot your own movie, you, need, you need to need a camera. So Sphere has developed the only 16K isom- uh, isomorphic camera available on the market. Um, and so that's why like, all of this, uh, the remoteness comes from the IV. Um And so that, I think, is $50 to $100 million per year uh, per additional Sphere. Now, realistically, the franchisee is not going to pay 100% of the build cost. They'll probably pay most of it. And Sphere will probably have to kick in 20%, 30% of the economics just to sort of like help them out. Um, but I would just imagine that that fifty million dollars a year would just go up from there, um, and I'm obviously ballparking, spitballing that fifty million a year, but it's probably somewhere in that in that ballpark. Uh, and okay. so, the more that Sphere has to pay, uh, the more they're going to want in 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 their in their royalty fees. So um, I look at all sorry I look at all this upside, which is like the unit economics of Sphere Las Vegas work exceptionally well as of right now, and that's what you need to sell multiple spheres. If if Vegas didn't work, then obviously you're not selling a single sphere outside. So. There's a pretty good probability of that. And also, if you sell a second sphere, then the chances of selling a third sphere become much higher as well because, you know, it makes sense. So uh, Let me do two
0: pushbacks on the multiple spheres because I think if you get multiple spheres, the stock goes kind of parabolic because, as you said, uh, if you can get a second sphere, the odds are you're going to be able to find a third sphere and the franchise revenues from this could be pretty crazy. But let me do two pushbacks. Pushback number one, like, I I was skeptical of the... five to 10% of Las Vegas going through sphere to see postcards or movie, right? Las Vegas is a really unique market in terms of tourism. I guess Orlando domestically would kind of fit the bill with that too, but there aren't a lot of these tourist markets here, right? And I worry that if you start expanding now, they have said, Hey, we can do a 2,500 feet Seat sphere, but if you do a 2500 seat sphere, unless you're going to sell the whole sphere, which maybe they could, I, I don't know. Uh, the economics get a lot less interesting for them. But I worry that like the reason this is working is because Vegas is such a unique market. Like could or you, you put it in there. I don't think they've got the tourists to fill like even a 5000 seat sphere consistently. So like, I, I just worry that it, it's hard to find the right markets for this. Now the world's a big place. Maybe there are, sure. you know, you only need six of them. But I, I worry about the markets.
1: I would say South Korea is a very good spot. To put one, and they're talking to them about it um, with the sort of K-pop scene and all that kind of stuff too, right? Like, and you know, <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> I think nothing else will approach Vegas Sphere type numbers. Um, but doing two hundred fifty million dollars in revenues instead of six hundred million dollars a year in revenues, uh, where you're doing two or three concerts a week uh, and you know one movie showing per 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 night instead of three a day, um, you know, you start getting to two hundred million dollars uh, of revenues, two hundred fifty million in revenues at the similar type of margins because you're just showing a, a film uh and and then you're kicking back thirty percent of the of the after tax profit back to a sphere company or something like that, right? So
0: I I have two more questions. It might be three more, but I have two more sure. to wrap this up because I realized yeah. why did London turn the sphere down? Because they had bought, you know, a big piece of land. They took, I think it was an 80 or 100000000 million dollar write down on the one. Why would London turn this down? Because it does seem like you could drive a lot of revenue. They they had approved it, it seemed like they were ready to go
1: for it. I mean, the, the headline reason was light pollution and the people that lived near Stratford were opposed to it. Um, I mean, that's a lot of nimbyism literally everywhere. Um, there's also discussion like political pressures back and forth. I mean, also, um, I don't know much about UK politics, but above London mayor level, they were saying that, that Michael Grove was saying that he was going to reverse the, Sadiq Khan's decision. And then there was a discussion there about that. I, I you know that that i don't think that they were ever fully fully aligned and, and that's sort of how it landed um i don't think i can speculate more on, on it no
0: it makes total sense i just you know i, I worry i i think i saw the light pollution was one of the reasons and as i said earlier like i worry right now the light pollution is viral and people love it but six months from now people hate it and like the london turned it down is a sign that they saw some Vegas a lot of Vegas residents who are like we don't like having a giant eye in our backyard every.
1: Yeah. I, I think you I think you have to cut through the NIMBYism. Uh, I think it's always yeah, you know, first one through the through the wall gets bloodied. And um I think it's not nearly as bad. A it's not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. And B, it doesn't it certainly doesn't need to be as bad. Like there is there is a lot of uh there's a, a lot of uh compromise that's available in the world. Uh what I mean by that is, you know, you can turn it off every night at nine o'clock. <laughs> You could even, in theory, not light the exterior only during, you know, show times. Um, you know, the exosphere part of it isn't extremely important. You can dim the LEDs to be twenty percent intensity instead of ninety percent intensity. Um,
0: that's all really thoughtful. That's I all think really thoughtful.
1: Yeah, I think it's really beautiful that you can, you know, donate the space to artists and be like, look, you look at it as a giant billboard that's ugly and gaudy let's run it as an artist piece and the only people who get to show things on it are local artists that are coming up with interesting three stuff at 20% intensity and now it becomes a, a beautiful party for Skyline and now a quick
0: break to remind you that this episode is brought to you exclusively by AlphaSense, the AI platform behind the world's biggest investment decisions. AlphaSense gives you the tools you need to provide better analysis for you and your clients. As yet another value podcast listener, visit alpha-sense.com FS today to beat FOMO and move faster than the market. That's alpha-sense.com FS. One of my questions, which I don't want to ask because we've already, but Dolan mentioned, hey, we're going to do 50, 50, yeah. 50% of the time. It's going to be uh sponsorship that generates revenue, 50% of the time arts and community, which I, I thought was really interesting. And, uh, but don't want to ask that. Okay. Sure. Two last questions. Number one, the converts that they just issued. So, yep. you know, um, two weeks ago now they issued yep. some converts, uh, 200 plus million in convertible debt, which I, nothing on this podcast is financial advice. I actually think it's a really attractive piece of paper, but Sure. nothing
1: on this podcast. Is- I would have loved, I would have loved to pick up some of those. Yeah.
0: Bulls and bears are both pointing to that as a sign, right? Bulls are pointing to that. I think they did provide a little bit of extra um, financial metrics in the commentary around
1: huge, it. Huge yeah. numbers with it, yeah.
0: So bulls are pointing and saying, hey, look at these numbers. Bears are pointing to say, hey, this fear should be like hitting the inflection point now. And they just had to raise an extra $200 million of dollars, $200 million of debt. Like this thing is burning up a lot of cash. So I think both bulls and bears are pointing at that. What, what is your view on the converts? the
1: the balance sheet is a little stressed uh Sorry, as of specific- just yep.
0: when i say converse again nothing on this podcast is financial advice i'm sure. not asking for your view on the converse i'm asking on your view for the reasoning behind the converse and what that says about the stock just to make that clear
1: got it okay sounds good um september 30th their their balance sheet you know their quick ratio was 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 barely over one kind of thing they, they had a lot of construction costs that they are paying on a 90 180 basis after completing construction in like mid september uh, and so my, my rough view thought on it, you know, we don't have the explicit details, uh, is that they probably had payables due by December 31st that mm-hmm. they literally didn't have the cash to, to cover. Um, whether that's the full 200 million, two three million, probably not, but it's probably a chunk of it. Uh, the other side of it is they probably want to have some cash um, so that they're ready to put down a check as a deposit uh, for buildings number two or three kind of thing, because they're probably going to make some sort of financial contribution to that. Um, so I think overall, they just needed a little bit more flexibility uh, on their balance sheet. Uh, and that's why they needed it. Um, but, you know, the business itself is, is at least for this quarter and, and for the foreseeable quarter, is pretty cash flow positive. Um, and um, there's no weird things in that all of their revenues are are pure cash receipts. It's just, it's a super business, right? So so it's not some weird working capital timing problem uh, that's going to be a ma- massive issue in the future. Uh, as long as they keep putting butts in the seats, then they will a- a- end covering their SGNA, which they're currently doing. Um, they should be generating um, free cash flows it,
0: last question here if I did uh if I adjusted for this convert ignore msGn don't put any corporate discount or money going to MSGn or anything if I adjust for this convert I think about sixty dollars per share is the stock price that would imply a 2.3 billion dollar enterprise value again there's some adjustments but I, I think sure. that's about roughly right and yep. 2.3 billion dollars I throw that number out because that is how much it costs. To build the sphere. And again, sir, sure. I do think people rightly are putting some corporate discount on this. But right. if I threw that two sixty dollar stock price at you, sphere at cost, $2.3 billion, would you say the sphere is worth more than that, or would you say it's worth less than that?
1: I think 60 is roughly fair. Um, you know, you read my thing that I said 90, but that was also what I thought that MSGN would be completely non recourse, and I've done more revision on that and said that I I'm gonna, you know, discount MSGN. Uh, yep. And so now I'm sitting somewhere in that 65, 70 range. Um, and I think that that heavily discounts growth uh, as in the multi-sphere options. Uh, and I think that that also heavily discounts the uh, sort of content, um, which is, I I really think that they're going to make some really amazing movies in the future. And it'll be a, like, it'll be a destination to watch that movie. Like, you know, the next Top Gun, for example, being like, okay, we're going to make Top Gun Maverick 2, and it's only going to be in Sphere. Like, people will travel. They're just... And when you're like, why would Tom Cruise do that? Postcards is going to do $400 million a year, and it's not a very good movie. So if you put in a really good movie to Sphere, you could do $750, $800 million of revenue by that movie, no problem. It's Um, interesting
0: because this is, I mean, as you said, the numbers are starting to disprove me. But before Sphere even launched, uh, I was talking to a friend who was like, he said the postcard numbers you're laying out, right? Like, hey, $200 million for postcard. I was like, dude, a a blockbuster movie, like a blockbuster movie these days, does $200 million, right? Like you're starting to get into... Average Marvel blockbuster movies, yes. and again, those are selling in. You're, you're doing globally, that glo- globally, right? So you're you're filling lots of te- theaters, and I was like, I I don't see it now. They're starting to prove me wrong, though. This does, does come back to my point. Like, what happens with the movie? It, the first when you say weekend, they're starting
1: to prove you wrong. I mean, Postcards already done million dollars. No, no, season. yeah. So, so it, it, you it's it's definitely going to do north of two hundred fifty million dollars a year, kind
0: of. I, I think for me, the the two mental models that I am struggling to break are. One, like, I'm just really worried about James Dolan. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I've been burned before, James. Uh, so that's And then two, you know, again, just to come back to the first point, which I think you successfully addressed, but it does so worry me, is a movie comes out and the first weekend it's all sellouts. It does 100 million. The second weekend it's 30%, you know, it does 30 million and then it tails off from there. Now, this has managed to do it for three months, but I, I just worry, like, four months from now, again, I just come back, hey, we need 7% of the strip or 11% of the st- visitors to go to this thing. And it's just hard. It's just hard for me to see that consistently, but so far it's pretty wrong. Anyway, Kevin, this would great. I mean, obviously people can tell, hopefully they can tell. I've thought a lot about it because I love this company. I've thought about it long and they can tell you've thought about it this a hundred times more because I asked all <laughs> these questions and thought, any last thoughts you want to drop on the sphere or anything?
1: Um, no, I'm, I'm very excited to see how it goes to keep, following me on Twitter, I I seem to be posting pretty unique insight and information by the Ticketmaster data, all that kind of stuff. So uh happy to keep conversing with people and uh happy to to evolve with it. Um I would say what's interesting on my side is that postcard data, because we have the Ticketmaster data and we're looking pretty far out, I feel like we have an edge there, which is if, if that does turn, um, then probably be one of the first people to know that. Um, but also the fact that it isn't turning also makes us one of the first people to know it, which is also why we're so bullish on it. Uh, which is it. Like, we can see just to go back to the yeah.
0: ticket master data. You mentioned a lot of the seats are sold in the like kind of let's call it the five days before the show starts. Obviously, you're tracking further than that, but like what would make you start thinking that like, if 70% of the seats are getting sold again, I'm going to say five days ahead of time, like if and you're tracking up to 30 days in front, like what would make you get bearish on that? Because would it be like a sustained drop in the five day performance, or would it be oh my god, like the past three days, the 30 day outlook has gotten way worse? So we're, we're starting
1: to so we're tracking all the way out to like 200 days in the future. Uh, and obviously, the data for 90 days plus isn't that valuable. I,
0: I was guessing not, 90
1: days plus, you're getting sure. like one or two sales, right? But, but I think it's, it's an element of being able to see that, being able to forecast the quarterly numbers before they come out, um, and then being able to see the, those quarterly trends. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't think for a year, it's going to matter. I really don't. Uh, but beyond a year, it will start to matter. Um, so oh, I am cognizant of some seasonality which is you know if i see you know q1 january to march you know dip compared to q4 i'm not like okay this is you know the death dial of this thing it's more about like you know conference you know convention season is lower kind of things like that
0: we're um, talking but, right we're talking right before christmas and new year's have you seen any dip in like the christmas to
1: new year's sign christmas I, I is see, huge christmas i, I could see it going both there's ways a, there's, right? there's, there's yeah. a dip this week uh, and that dip actually matches on the U two tickets on SeatGeek peak as well so um this week is just a quiet week in vegas but then next week um Their shows are already three quarters sold out kind of thing. Um so it's gonna be a big week for them.
0: We are right at the end of their Q I believe it's their uh Fiscal Q2. Q two fiscal Q2, yeah. Uh so you've you've obviously got great data. how what are you tracking for the Q2? Like, do you think the street is just way too low on the this? Yeah,
1: I think I think the well the street was saying minus twenty-five million was Q2 adjusted or or operating income. That's before the company gave guidance said it was gonna be profitable. And that was the like crazy factor for everyone to be like, oh my God, like they're going to be profitable? We think it's minus 25 million. That's a $100 million difference, right? Um, I've always been saying that this quarter should be somewhere between 10 and 25 million AOI. uh, And we're probably going to land somewhere in that 15 range or so. I would be shocked if it's lower because they guided two months into the quarter, not after the quarter. Normally people give guidance like a week after the quarter ends and they already know the number or at least most of it, right? They're they're, they're like, we still haven't operated the last month of the year, uh, the last month of the quarter, and we're already saying that we're profitable. You need to be pretty above zero to say that.
0: And, and obviously that is, as we talked about, with a huge sg burden that I think most people think comes down one way or the other over time. Though, you know, if you look at the Dolan boards, there's 14 sure. people making, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it won't come down as high as that uh, private equity firm we talked about running. Anyway, Evan, this is great. Uh, anybody who wants to follow him on Twitter, I'll include a link to his Twitter in the show notes. So we should mention that earlier, but we'll, we'll get you there. And uh, really appreciate you coming on. Looking
1: forward to time number three. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. Talk to you later.
0: A quick disclaimer, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. Guests or the hosts may have positions in any of the stocks mentioned during this podcast. Please do your own work and consult a financial advisor. Thanks.